0: Okay, good morning. This is Richard Hsu, host of Shoe Untied. Today, I'm very pleased to have with me as my guest, Simon Frankel, who's a partner at Covington and Burling. Simon, welcome to the program. Thank you, Richard. Happy to be here. Good. So, Simon, I know you have sort of an interesting uh, expertise or experience with art law. Tell me a little bit about, you know, perhaps how you got into that to be in the first place.
1: Well I always say It's 10% of my practice And 80% of my Cocktail party conversation (laughs) Uh, It's a small part Of my practice But it's also something I teach on the side Yeah So to answer your question It It really goes back to a judge I clerked for and my father. Uh, I clerked uh, after law school. One of the judges I clerked for was Pierre Laval in New York, who was very interested in copyright law and also in art, and his uh, wife was a museum director. Hmm. Uh, So I got interested in copyright law through that, and in particular, copyright law as it applies to art. And immediately after that clerkship, I moved back to San Francisco. And at the time, my father, who was essentially a retired transactional lawyer in San Francisco, had gone back to school to get a master's at the age of 65 and had gotten very interested in legal issues related to art, a topic he had not done any work on as a practicing lawyer. Uh, And long story short, he and I ended up teaching a class together starting when I was uh, a first or second year associate in the mid-1990s at uh, what was then Bolt Hall, now Berkeley Mm -hmm. Law School, on art law. And he and I taught this class together for about uh, six years, teaching it not just at Berkeley, but also at Hastings College of the Law and the University of San Francisco, uh, taught about eight times. Hmm. And then my father decided to retire from his retirement <laughs> and, uh, and, and gave up teaching. I taught for a few years at the University of San Francisco uh, School of Law, and since 2012 have taught with a friend uh, at Stanford Law School, mm. a similar class on legal issues related to art. Mm. And over the years, the 20 years since then, uh, some of my practice has turned on these issues and a wide range of matters. Uh, some... Transactional or advisory concerning art and a number of litigation matters.
0: Well, tell me about some of them. Tell me about some of the actual cases you've worked on that involved art and how did it go? What kinds of issues come up in that?
1: So, uh, very often there are issues of ownership or there are issues of intellectual property, usually but not always uh, copyright. Mm -hmm. So, a few examples would be uh, we've handled here at Covington uh, two cases of significance for the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. One of them concerned a collection of Persian antiquities Hmm. that the museum had held for about 80 years, some considerably longer, uh, all from, as I mentioned, Persia, Mm -hmm. uh, essentially modern-day Iran. Uh, There were parties who had obtained a judgment against Iran of tens of millions of dollars relating to a terrorist attack in Jerusalem in the 1990s that apparently was funded by... uh, entities from the Iranian government Hmm. and they obtained a judgment in federal court in Washington against Iran and then to try to collect on the judgment they sought various avenues and one of them was to argue that the antiquities held by a number of museums including the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston were actually owned by Iran under Iranian patrimony law. Hmm. Uh, These patrimony laws are laws that many countries that have significant cultural property have enacted over the years that essentially decree that uh, antiquities that are dug out of the ground are automatically are owned by the government. Hmm. And... Uh, Iran does have laws like that that have passed over the years, although these antiquities at the MFA had mostly left before those laws were enacted Hmm. and had all left with the knowledge of the Persian government. And so we litigated there whether these uh, antiquities belonged to Iran under Iranian law or belonged to the museum, even though Iran was not a party to the case and Hmm. made no claim to them. Hmm. But the plaintiffs were arguing that they were property of Iran and therefore could be subject to the judgment. Hmm. But ultimately, uh, that failed, and the antiquities remain at the museum.
0: Now, do you have any background in art? Are you an artist yourself? Do you collect art or anything Uh, like
1: that? My wife and I are very modest collectors of art (laughs) we like, but nothing of great significance, and I have no real background in art. But what's fascinating about the field to me is... uh, that art means so many different things to so many different people and Mm. it has many different facets. It's Mm. not just like property, like a house or uh, a ring. It has expressive properties. Mm. Uh, It often appreciates with age rather than depreciating with age. Mm. Um, It um, is made by people who are often expressive. It um, uh, often Moves across borders. Uh, if you look at the antiquities markets, uh, there are countries that tend to be source nations and t- countries that tend to be collector nations. Mm. There are so many different tensions across these different areas that mm. make up the field of art mm. law that how they are resolved and how the balance is struck is fascinating. Mm.
0: What about on the copyright side? Tell me, some, have you done any copyright art cases, and how did, what, what kind of cases would those look like? Well, so just a few years ago, I
1: handled a case for a fairly well-known artist who lives in New York who had created a series of drawings uh, of many different well-known people, but uh, several of them were of members of the Sex Pistols. Hmm. Uh, people like, um, I'm going to forget their names, but Johnny Rotten is very well-known, mm-hmm. and Sid Vicious. Mm-hmm. Um, And she had used as source materials for these drawings photographs that were taken in the 1970s of the Sex Pistol Mm -hmm. band members uh, wearing particular clothes as they were wearing them on the day. Now, these were very simple photographs. They were just, for example, Sid Vicious standing there in a Mm T-shirt. And then her drawing would be a sort of stylized version of the same individual Mm -hmm. in a T-shirt that was recognizable as the one in the photograph. The photographer of these photographs, who had taken them in 1977, came upon her, her drawings or her paint, some of them were paintings as well, in the 2010s and felt that they were copying his expression protected by copyright law. Mm, interesting. And sued her. And so you have interesting issues there.
0: And you represented the- The, the, artist. the artist,
1: yes, well, okay. Well, this is a, one of those cases that's artist against artist. Yes, right. So, we were representing the painter drawing, not the the photographer. And so, the interesting question there, although it wasn't resolved because the case uh, settled fairly early, Mm -hmm. but the interesting question there is, what is the expression of a photographer Mm -hmm. who has taken a picture Mm -hmm. of an individual, just the individual? It's not a composed scene, it's not a landscape, Mm -hmm. it's an individual, Um, and then that that image is used as source material for a drawing or painting hmm. and so it raises interesting questions because the photographer had not really posed Sid Vicious, the photographer had not selected the ch- clothes or jewelry of Sid Vicious that hmm. showed up in the drawing um, uh, the other aspects of the photograph that are often treated as expressive and protectable under copyright, the lighting uh, the angle they weren't really captured in the drawing, hmm. and so you have interesting questions of of should a photographer have some exclusive right to just the subject matter of their hmm. photographs when a later artist is going to use that hmm. in something else hmm. that is creative?
0: So that in that case settled before trial, so it never went to yes. trial. Okay, got yes. it. So but, the, it oh,
1: go but another case that uh, was a longer time ago involved photographs of Barbie dolls. Hmm. Uh, So an artist, uh, this is around 1999-2000, an artist had taken a number of photographs of Barbie dolls, placing them in sort of absurd, sometimes somewhat sexualized positions with kitchen appliances. Uh, They were in blenders, they were in uh, milkshake makers, Hmm. mixers, uh, in other poses, and was selling them at uh, art fairs and cafes in rural Utah. Hmm. Uh, and Mattel learned about this and was not amused. And Mattel sued him for copyright and trademark infringement, hmm. arguing that on the copyright side that he was copying their protectable expression, the creativity embodied in the Barbie doll.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, notably, they were all uh, just Barbie dolls without clothes. They weren't The clothes weren't an issue. Uh, and then on the trademark side arguing that people would see his works and think they were affiliated with, endorsed by, associated with Mattel. Right, interesting. And that was a much more vigorously litigated case all the way through summary judgment and appeal, but the courts consistently held that it was what's called a fair use under copyright law. It was a permissible borrowing of whatever expression was in the Barbie doll because he was commenting on the Barbie doll. Mm. He was creating something new and different Mm. uh, in his work. Mm. Uh, and then on the trademark side, it was an expressive work that no one would realistically find confusing. Interesting. They interesting. wouldn't see it and think it was From uh, associated with Mattel. Yeah, In fact, they would probably understand it was commenting on Mattel by someone not affiliated mm-hmm. with Mattel.
0: I assume you thought that was the right decision then. <laughs> it absolutely
1: was. Yes.
0: yes. Now, one of my prior guests was uh, Randy Schoenberg, who represented Marie Altman, about that famous art. Is that a case that you followed a lot, or what did you think about that case? Uh,
1: well, I followed it closely, but was not involved at all. Right, and right. It was a fascinating case hmm. arising out of World War II yeah. and the loss of artworks at the hands of the Nazis, and a real testament to the perseverance of Maria Altman yeah. and Randy Schoenberg yeah, definitely. to get the works back. Uh, what was so unusual about that case, and I expect you discuss this with Randy, was that many of these cases that we see are litigated in United States courts, but the Altman family oh, right. there, represented by Randy Schoenberg, made a decision to go along with the Austrians and Austrian government's insistence that there be an arbitration in Austria. Mm, right. Which at the time many people thought it couldn't possibly be that an arbitration panel in Austria would would rule against the Austrian government. Hmm but they did. Oh, I see. So that was a real achievement. Interesting.
0: Now, if you, you mentioned that art is only, art law is only 10% of your practice. If you could make it 100%, would you? Or is it because you, there's just not enough of those cases to go around?
1: Well, it would be exciting. Out here in San Francisco, there is less, uh, excuse me, fewer of these kinds of matters I that see. come up than there would be, for example, in New York. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and I enjoy the variety of cases I have. I I have a a range of other copyright and trademark matters, uh, some of which involve visual images. Hmm. uh, So I
0: enjoy that variety. Hmm. Well, Simon, this has been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your taking the time and you get your next art case. You'll have to come back and tell me about it.
1: I look forward to that, Richard. Thank
0: you. This is Richard Hsu and Simon Frankel. Thanks.